Hi there, this is Pastor Tim. I'm the minister at Eastside Church. We are a United Methodist congregation in East Atlanta Village. We seek to be creative, historic, and inclusive. And we are thrilled that you found our podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church community, you can visit us at www.eastsideatl.org. Well, good morning, friends. As it is each Sunday here at Eastside, it is again this Sunday, indeed a joy and a privilege to be gathered with each of you here in corporate worship. And this morning, if you're a guest with us, I do hope that you have felt warmly welcomed by our church community. We are glad that you are here. And if you are not necessarily a guest with us, but it's been a, bit, been a minute since you've been with us, I hope that you have, again, felt warmly embraced and welcomed by our church community. And if you've not been here over the last several weeks, um, since the new year has turned over, it may be helpful for you to know a little bit about where we're at in terms of our teaching and our preaching here at Eastside. In 2020, we, we began something of an exploration of this ancient prayer that was written by the Apostle Paul to an ancient church community in the city of Ephesus. And it's part of a much longer prayer that Paul writes in the book of Ephesians in this letter to this church, but we've really grappled onto, grasped onto this very, very poignant and simple phrase within the prayer. It's Paul's call, his challenge, his admonishment to this ancient community to continue in the way, to keep fighting the good fight, to keep walking on the path. And Paul writes, may you be rooted May you be grounded in love. Well, the way here at Eastside that we have sort of decided to attack is the wrong word. Um, live into this prayer is by first looking at this first of these two metaphors the Apostle Paul uses. He's brilliantly sort of juxtaposed two very different metaphors to make a really poignant and beautiful image for us. The, the first of these being that of rootedness, the image of organics, of plant life, of nature, and the second of these metaphors of these images being that of groundedness, of a firm foundation, evoking the images of architecture, of, of building on a solid foundation, and he brings them together, and he says that as we continue in the way of love, as we continue on the path in the way of the Christ, may we both be rooted and may we be grounded simultaneously in the love of the eternal God of the universe. Well, as is the case in much of the Christian life and in the scriptures, there's kind of this, there's always these patterns that you can decipher. And one of the patterns that we decipher as we study the Christian life and kind of how it speaks to us as individuals is that oftentimes what it says to us as individuals also has a message for us collectively, both as a local church, but then as the, the sort of universal church, right? The church across the world, the capital C church. And what we've been looking at, I'm going to say a bit more about this after the scripture reading, is we've been exploring this idea of rootedness by looking at organics, by looking at plant life, by looking at trees, and asking what we can learn from those dimensions of the created order of reality about our own spiritual journeys, our own spiritual lives, our own spiritual growth and maturity. But as you're going to see in our text this morning, oftentimes what happens is what 
is also true in the life and in the heart of the individual believer. God also has a sort of like cosmic imagery and design and vision for what God hopes to become true in you, the new creation God wants to see birthed and to emerge from your life, God also wants to see collectively in the lives of all of us together and in the world. So this morning, we're going to turn all the way to the end of our Bibles. We've been jumping all over in this series from the book of, of Genesis to Ephesians to Galatians, and this morning we're going to jump to the end of our Bibles, almost to the end of the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And in this reading, you're going to notice, if you were listening to the scripture passage that Ed read at the outset from Ezekiel, you're going to notice some similar language. It's almost as though John, the, the one who penned the book of Revelation, was studying the book of Ezekiel and then had some new insights as he reformed and refashioned a vision that he received from God about what he believed God's plans were for us and for the cosmos, for the future of the human race and for our world. So friends, if you're able, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. We'll be reading from Revelation chapter 22. We'll begin reading in verse 1 where John speaks. He writes of this vision that he received from God. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. It's bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit producing for each month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Nothing accursed will be found there anymore. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. His servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They won't need the light of a lamp or of the sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Friends, the word of God for us, the people of God. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, eternal one, God who was, God who shall be, may you make yourself known in our present. God, through these words that I have prepared, through the human beings that we are sitting next to in these pews, through the working of your mysterious, Majestic, beautiful, Holy Spirit, God, may you open our minds and our hearts and give us ears to hear that which we need to hear on this morning so that we might be moved and changed and transformed in the ways that you are calling us to be so that we might go back out and be who you're calling us to be. I love this. We pray in the name of the Christ and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Friends, you may be seated. I've mentioned before that most weekday mornings I get the privilege of walking my little rugrats to school. We park nearby the school and then we walk um, a little ways to get there. And this past fall, this thing kept happening where the two boys and I would be sort of keeping pace. And then we'd look around and say, where's Emmy? <laughs> and we'd stop and 
not too afraid that she wandered too far off. We'd look, we'd look back, and she'd, of course, be, be bent over, her butt sticking straight up in the air, looking at something on the ground, and this kept happening. And what I found out was that my daughter, in the fall season, as the leaves were falling, she had this fascination with leaves, the leaves that had fallen from the trees, but specifically, the brighter the color of the leaf, the more that it attract her, attracted her to it. And she would collect these leaves, and I'd at some point would have to say, Emmy, we're going to literally run out of time, and we're go, going to be tardy, and you're going to make your boys, brothers late for school. And we've got to call five leaves our limit for the day. But apparently in, in her classroom, they had like this little nature preserve where the kids could bring in things from nature, sticks and leaves, and I, I don't know what other, you know, slugs maybe, um, and add them to the collection. So for several weeks, most days, we would bring leaves in, and her, her lovely teacher was so patient, would always receive them with joy, and would add them to the pile. But leaves, leaves are interesting things, and they are pronounced in both readings this morning in our text, from Ezekiel and then again from John. In our text from John, he proclaims that leaves will be for the healing of the nations, in this vision that John has for God's future plans for humanity, for our world put back together, recreated, made new, John paints this incredible painting of the holy city with a river that's just flowing from God out into the world. Ezekiel says the river will flow into salt water, make it fresh, and fish will just abound. Some commentators think that there's, there's note being made to the Dead Sea, that God's river of life will flow into the Dead Sea and it will be so full of life that it will transform the sea that is so buoyant with salt that humans can float on it into fresh, living, populated waters. That's the image that Ezekiel and then John again gives us. And John says the tree of life, he uses a strange imagery, doesn't he? He says it's going to be on both sides of the bank. Now, I don't know how that's supposed to work. Um, it's one tree, and it's a river, so the only thing I can picture is that there's a tree that's sort of like covering over the river and connecting almost like a bridge both sides of the bank with these fruits from what John says are the 12 months of the year, maybe representing the 12 tribes of Israel, maybe representing the 12 apostles, maybe representing the unique gifts that God is calling and inspiring and working in each of us to bring into this world as the fruit of our own journey. But both Ezekiel and John use this strange phrase, John, of course, borrowing from Ezekiel, that the leaves of the tree of life are to be for the healing of the nations. And like my daughter, Emmy, I really, I love leaves, but I don't notice them a lot in the summertime unless they're keeping me from the hot Atlanta heat, and some of you have the blessing and the curse that I have of having giant trees on your property, which when it's hot out, it's wonderful and it's lovely, but when fall comes and the leaves start to die and fall, then you have to go to Lowe's and buy what feels like a hundred of those stupid lawn bags and fill them up with leaves and then, I mean, I don't, the filling them up is, is the easy part. The part I hate is carrying them then to the curb and hoping that it doesn't rain or that the wind doesn't blow them all over before the, the Atlanta folks come to pick them up. 
But I grew up in the Midwest, and in the fall, unlike in Atlanta where the cold weather comes kind of gradually and the leaves change slowly, in northern Indiana, the cold weather would come like a snap, and then the next day or the day after, the leaves would just immediately all together in this giant collage of color change together. So you'd have red and purple and yellow, and it was just this incredible um, array, this spectacle. They would change fast, they would die fast, and they would fall fast. Unlike Atlanta, where it's January and there's still some leaves in some of our trees that have yet to completely let go. But autumn, it is this time, even if you live here or if you live in the north, where we do, we notice leaves in a different way. Because there's something fundamental about the leaves, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but there's something fundamental about the leaves that is changing that makes them stand out to us. Leaves are a fascinating thing. And in this season, we continue to return to organics, to plant life, to trees, as we reflect on this first chapter of our series, Be Rooted in Love. We've moved from the baptism of our Lord Sunday, where Jesus is baptized, and we talked about the utter importance of water for life. Your body is made up of 60-plus percent water. Your lungs are 83 percent water. Your brain is full of water. Water is essential to life. And then we moved from soil and seed to seeds that sprout to fostering these growing plants that then have a stem and a trunk and grow branches. This morning we come to leaves. Be rooted in love. Now, if you're new to our faith community here at Eastside, it might be helpful for you to know that we were coming off of an entire year of an emphasis of a campaign, of a movement within our church community that we simply named You Are Loved. From the yard signs many of you put out in front of your homes to bumper stickers to t-shirts to simply seeing your life throughout the last calendar year as an act of God's love for this world, You Are Loved kind of became the phrase of our community for 2019. And we spent a year on it because we believed and we wanted this baseline fundamental assertion to sink deeply into the hearts and lives of every one of you in this room, that you are here because the universe wants you to be here, that each of you exist because the source of all life wanted you to exist. Time, space, life, existence, all of these are incredible and beautiful gifts from the ultimate source. And we got there because our leadership coming off of 2017 and 18 kind of had this collective sense that humanity, that our collective self-esteem across our planet was kind of at an all-time low. It seemed like we weren't feeling very good about who we were as we read our news, studied our social news feeds, had conversations with people from the horrors of police brutality to what was happening at our border to the ongoing Syrian refugee crisis the ongoing dispute between Israel, Palestine, from the rise in hate crimes and, and reinvigorated white nationalism in our own country, to today the politics in our own country where we seem more divided than we've ever seen ever, if not in my lifetime. I think we can agree collectively that for many, the collective sense and collective sense of worth 
of our human race is potentially at an all-time low. Now more than ever, the human race needs to hear and hear again that you are loved. If we only look at the rational evidence available to us through our own experience and the data that we interpret through our own minds, humanity in many ways does seem to be sort of turning on itself in troubling ways. But friends, as a people of faith, you in this room, this collective that we call Eastside Church, we are a people who are called to live against the odds, to stand up against what looks to be the tide that is insurmountable. It is our calling to tell a different story, a better story, a different story about your life, a different story about my life, a different story about our collective reality, and a different story about the world. And that's precisely what John is seeking to do in this morning's reading when he casts this beautiful vision of recreation and of hope. The eternal well of life that brought our world into being also brought each one of us into being, every human on this planet, and like the ineffable love of a mother looking at her newborn infant in her arms, the divine never stops looking at us in that same way. Friends, we assert that God in Christ has made known to us, has revealed to us, potentially one of the most important things that you can ever let sink into your soul. The reality that deep down in our existence we accept the fact that God sees us through the eyes of a newborn child, that God is eternally gazing at each and every one of us humans with love, a love that will not be let go. So this past year, we wanted it to be so clear that the baseline truth of the Christ event in our world, of our faith, of our Christianity, when it is at its best, is that you are loved, that I am loved, that we are loved, that we, the human race, is like my own children, or my heart walking around outside of my body, we are the heart of God walking around and fleshed in our bodies and our minds and our hearts. So when we came to the, the end of 2019, we began to ask the question, what, what happens then in our lives when we do actually begin to take this notion seriously? If we do allow this to sink into us, that we are ineffably loved by the eternal creator of the universe and there's nothing we can do to undo that. It was actually our children's minister and our arts director, Roxy, who, who essentially said, well, maybe this ancient prayer from Paul is sort of the perfect next step for our faith community. Maybe out of our acceptance that we are loved, Maybe it's in that soil of that truth that we can then begin to ask what it looks like for us to then be rooted and to be grounded in that love, to grow in the reality of that love. But we can't even talk about that until we begin with the assertion, the acceptance that we are loved. Until each of us moves from a place of self-hatred, of disdain, to believing that the universe is pulling for you, that God is for you. Accepting that we are loved, it, it's step one in sort of breaking up the soil of our hard-packed souls. It kind of breaks up the soil, it reinvigorates us, it, it saturates our dry and barren 
realities so that something new might be planted. One of the threads that I hope that you're taking from this series, this season together, is that every one of you in this room, whether you believe it or not, you are an incredible, an incredible, sort of like the universe before the Big Bang was this remarkable potential of energy and possibility. Every one of your existences, if that's a word, in this room, you have that kind of potential with this reality that we call your life. You might not believe me. You might not believe it about yourself. You might not believe it about some people in our world, but it's still true because God names it as such. You all are quiet. Can I get an amen? You are in existence for a reason. And that begins with something that's so hard for us to accept, and I almost wish it were written on the leaves of the trees, you are loved. What happens if we accept that that's true? If I am loved, what happens now? If the good news of the scripture of the Christ is that the eternal one has crafted me and loves me from eternity and will never let me go, does that, how does that change the way I live the rest of my life? Maybe step two is to ask questions about what it looks like to let that love take root in us, to grow in us, to grow complex root systems that ground us deeply and nurture us so that we might flourish. That's the Apostle Paul's first part of this prayer for this Ephesian church, is that they would be rooted in the eternal well of God's love. And Paul is living out of this ancient Jewish assumption that we've already talked about in this series, the fact that human beings, we weren't created separate from God or something completely other. No, the the ancient Hebrew authors make the point to say humanity is created in the image of God, in the likeness of God. We share some level of commonality with the divine one, with our divine father, mother, parent, we have a familial, familial relationship with God. So what does it mean to be rooted in the soil of God's love? I think we have to acknowledge that we're more than simply biological organisms. We're, we're more than just happy accidents of evolution. Evolution is this beautiful, amazing reality That for me, the more I study it, the more I find it hard to believe that there's not a divine energy working through this process, bringing being into new and higher levels of existence. Scriptures begin with a God who is creating in God's image. A humanity who is created, who is sewn together with the threads of eternity. We are more than simply material, we're more than simply DNA that can be studied under a microscope. As Christians, we believe that, yes, we are bodies. Yes, light is a wave. Light is a particle. Yes, you are a body, but we also believe that you are simultaneously spirit. You are loved and you are made in the image of God, and the essence of God is eternal spirit, which means that our faith tradition maintains and holds to the reality that we in some way, are mysteriously spiritual beings. 
which of course raises all kinds of other questions about then what are we to do and how are we to do what we are to do and why. And yesterday I sent a rather lengthy pastoral letter to the congregation. And in that letter, what I was trying to do was to help us understand a larger view of, of what the Christian life and what this call to be rooted is really all about. That yes, it starts with you as an individual and that is of critical importance, but like our text this morning in the book of John, it ends in this huge cosmic reality. It begins here, but it's going somewhere. It begins with you, with your choices, with the way you live your life, but then collectively it works out from all of us with God's intention to do something for all of humanity. Sometimes we can get so caught up in our own myopic sort of vision about things, and we hear people talk about the importance of a spiritual life. And if you're anything like me, you grew up with language of spiritual life to the point that you almost went deaf to it. But I did a little experiment on my core group this week, and most of them are in the room, so I can say that. And I just said, because I was curious, when, when we talk about spirit, and we say human beings have a spiritual dimension, what do you think that means? And they were almost as quiet as you all. <laughs> frankly. Because spirit, we say it, many of us grew up with the language, but we, if we really think about it, aren't really sure what we're talking about. And we got a lot of different answers around the room, and I hopefully we learned from one another. I know I did. But one of the things you have to remember is that unlike in our modern world where we kind of see materialism and the things that you can look at through a microscope and then spirit's kind of this like ethereal, you know, even almost associated with like a ghostly post-human sensibility, that's not at all how they thought about spirit in the New Testament world in which these books were written. Spirit wasn't like a separate category. It was just like in spirit. There's water and dearth, dirt, dearth. <laughs> Water and dirt and bodies and spirit and light and air and breath. It wasn't this completely altogether separate reality. We just couldn't see it with our naked human eyes. That was true then, and it's still true now. Which is why I find the way that the scriptures speak of spirit to be so compelling the way from the book of Genesis to Ezekiel, all throughout the New Testament from Jesus to John to Paul. They grab something in the created world to give us a vision, an image, something to grapple with to help us understand something that is otherwise challenging to wrap our human minds around. From Jesus to John to Paul, the image of organics, the image of plant life is used over and over and over again when we're being called to reflect inward on our own spiritual reality, the own, our own dimension, our own spiritual health. We've been given this great gift. We can look at the natural world and we can learn something about God and learn something about ourselves by analogy. We can walk outside and look at the trees. 
We can plant trees. In fact, east side, actually, a little side note, we are having a collective opportunity for you all to plant trees um, in the next, next week. Take part in that. Be a part of new creation. Bring something new into the world. But we can. We can walk outside. We can plant seeds in the ground. and We can look at them and we can see them grow. And we can deduce with our minds how they work in the natural world. And the scriptures over and over and over again say, now look at your own spirit, your own spiritual life, and ask questions that are analogous to what you see in nature. And it gives us something in our imaginations to grab a hold of. We, in some sense, are like organics. Our spiritual dimension is something like a seed that starts by being planted in soil and is watered. It puts down roots. It springs up greenery. And over time, if it is tended well, it, it grows a trunk and then branches and then leaves. And hopefully, eventually, it blossoms and then produces fruit. And for us, the fruit of truth and beauty and goodness and whatever form of fruit our lives are meant to bring forth. Leaves. They're fascinating things. They don't really attract the eye in the same way that fruit or that flowers and blossoms do. But if we remember what they do, they're pretty remarkable. These leaves, we, some of you know why they're green. They're loaded with chlorophyll. And I'd be impressed to know or interested to know how many of you can properly spell chlorophyll. My Google search was so far off, even Google was confused. But chlorophyll is what makes them green. And chlorophyll essentially eats sunlight. Sunlight through these leaves is then broken down into sugars that then at least partially feed the plant. And next Sunday we're going to talk, we're going to return to the root system as we talk about fruit. But just a little spoiler, underneath the ground in the root system, there's this whole ecosystem that works with the trees to help them get the nutrients that they need from the soil. In fact, if, if trees only lived off of sunlight, they would be like that tall. They only lived off the sugar that they got from sunlight. But regardless, chlorophyll, green leaves, they eat sunlight, it creates sugar that the plant needs, and then it by-produces the stuff that humans and animals need to survive. You might call it waste. We might call it oxygen. Now, if we return to the analogy, the metaphor of our spiritual life as organics, and as the metaphor goes, when we are growing healthy and thriving, we are growing branches that are sprouting leaves, and our leaves, when we intentionally place them regularly in the presence, in the light of the divine, through prayer, through meditation, through worship, through service, when we do that, like a plant sucking up that sunlight, getting the nutrients that it needs, it is then creating the necessary oxygen for our world to exist let no one ever tell you, friends, that it is selfish for you to take care of your spiritual life. 
If the metaphor holds, you, by taking care of your spiritual dimension, are producing spiritual oxygen for a world that needs air. That's pretty remarkable. You don't even have to produce fruit. Don't quote me on that next Sunday. <laughs> Just by having leaves that are in the presence of the light, you are good news for the world. It's remarkable. By making it a point to take care of ourselves, to ask questions of our own spiritual well-being, to do as John Wesley did and say, how is it with your soul? It's not a selfish endeavor. You get to be spiritual oxygen for a world that needs air. Friends, we don't seek to be healthy just for our own good. We do it for our families, for our communities, for our workplace, and ultimately we seek health for our world. We seek spiritual health for the betterment of our world. When you are healthier, when you are placing your leaves in the light of the Son of God, you are causing the world around you to thrive. And we know these people. We don't have good language for it, but we've experienced it when somebody walks into the room and you're like, there's just an energy. There's just that thing. And you don't know how to describe it. Maybe that person has been taking the time to tend to their soul. Maybe that person has taken some time to place themselves in the presence of the light of our eternal God. I love this text from John that we read this morning. And honestly, I had never noticed the line for the healing of the nations until I looked at this reading and then made the parallel back to the book of Ezekiel. Leaves. I won't look at them the same after this. For the healing of the nations. The byproduct of them feeding on what they need to survive creates what we need to exist, to breathe, and to thrive. Oh, if the church would take that to heart. If the church would not see our spiritual enrichment and enlivening as something that we don't really have time to get to, and it's kind of a selfish thing anyway. No, what if it's like oxygen for your faith community? What if it's like oxygen for your workplace? What if you taking care of yourself makes you a better spouse, a better partner, a better husband or wife or sibling or mother or father? Plants are awesome. Amen? Leaves are remarkable. Amen? And as the metaphor goes and the analogy teaches, human beings, too, are awesome and remarkable creatures with incredible potential, more than you can even imagine for yourself, for one another, and for what you can collectively do in this world by the power of the divine one. And this scriptural metaphor of, of, of spiritual organism, I just love this, the idea that we can be spiritual oxygen for our world. I'll just return to this because it kept coming to me as I was working through this sermon over the past week. 
I kept asking the question, what if, what if it was just written on the leaves, the message that you are loved? And then it occurred to me, they're green, which means they're full of chlorophyll, which means they're turning sunlight into oxygen, which means that the message, you are loved, is written on every green leaf in our world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, God's people said, amen and amen. Well, we hope that you've enjoyed this week's message, and we look forward to seeing you soon. If you listen from afar and you would like to support the work that we are doing in East Atlanta and on Atlanta's east side, you can visit our website, www.eastsideatl.org, and find our giving portal there.